Now we look at things like which teams are coming more regularly than often? What kinds of things are we helping people with? Is it more voice and tone things? Is it, are we getting a lot of error messages? Are we getting a lot of more like strategic conversations? Are we looking at just more design pattern things, like things that already exist in the UI, they just need words for it. So we're trying to use that information to inform like, oh, wow, people really keep asking about this. Like, should we standardize this? And is this worthy of some sort of documentation? This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Excited to be here today with Angela Kilduff and Victoria Stanov. Did I say it right, Angela? Kilduff. You got my name right. Thank you. And from, <laughs> from the content strategy and UX writing team of Stripe, which is a fascinating platform that, by the way, I don't have a lot of experience using it because we don't have the luck to have it in Israel. Like, I really want to use it, but I can't because it's not supported in Israel. And I have to do something called Stripe Atlas if I want to use it. So I, I don't know if I should. Or not, like that's, this is a talk for another day. But anyway, I was always fascinated with the, the copy of the platform and it was always really cool to see how it evolves. And I've noticed this product for a while. So I'm very excited to be here with you today. I know that both of you have background in arts, right? I read a little bit. I know that uh, Angela, you used to work for Mule and Twitter and Facebook. And Victoria, you used to be a growth copywriter for Uber. And I would like to know a little bit about your journey to Stripe and what's your background is like. So let's start with uh, Angela. Yeah, how are you? Happy to have you here. I'm good, thanks for having me. My journey took a few twists and turns, but I moved to California to go to graduate school in journalism. And from there, graduated in the midst of the recession in 2010, and then kind of made my way into design agencies, contents, and like kind of made my way to content strategy that way. So I started working at Mule and kind of learned about editorial content strategy and worked on a lot of redesigns for a lot of really fascinating clients. And then got really interested With in... Erica product. Hall, right? Yeah, Erica's wonderful. That's so cool. Yeah, it was always a small, fantastic team of people. And we had really interesting nonprofit clients who were really... The content that I got to work on was fascinating. Like we worked on the Audubon.com redesign and I still nerd out about birds. It was a lot of fun. What's the name of the nonprofit? Autobahn? Oh, Autobahn, yeah. It's Autobahn.org. It's a like bird related nonprofit. They focus a lot on conservation and like information about birds. So fun, fun subject matter. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, then I made my way into product design in part because some of the redesigns that I worked on when I worked when I was at agencies, we would come up with these product divisions and we'd work with the clients and we were really excited about the direction it was going to take. And then often in the implementation phase, it either wouldn't work out quite that way or a lot of things wouldn't be used at all. And it was frustrating to put so much of your time and energy into thinking through how this site could site or product could transform itself and then not being able to actually see it through. And so going right. in-house gave me that opportunity to like be on the teams that are doing it and write the words and like be able to refine the experience in the way that we'd hoped. That's cool. You find yourself thriving in the product team versus agencies, right? Yeah, I really enjoy being in-house. I understand that because when you work in a product team, you can always have the chance to see your work goes live, 
and uh, see how it's implemented in the product and actually measure it and then optimize it. And I think uh, a lot of our work as content strategists, uh, UX um, writers, UX designers even is to measure what we do and optimize it. And it's not only like create it and deploy it and the client can take it away from now. It's like an ongoing process and it's really important to have like dedicated in-house people on those experiences. Yeah, and you can do so much more for overall product quality and health that that's part of the pleasure of being part of the company that's undoing it. Exactly. So we moved from Twitter to Facebook and then to Stripe. So how was those transitions like? When I started at Twitter, I felt like I was suddenly back at college. It was the largest place I've worked by like a huge magnitude. I think it was 4,000 people around that or somewhere around there when I joined. And then Facebook was 20-something thousand people and completely huge. But also Facebook has an incredible team of content strategists. Twitter Mm -hmm. had a very small team. I think at one point we were three. And at Facebook, there were hundreds. And so you had the benefit of learning from all of the work and documentation and standards that people had created and just working with really phenomenal people with really deep and very varied product knowledge. People came from all kinds of backgrounds and were incredibly passionate about the work they were doing. So both of those mm-hmm. companies were really interesting in different ways, particularly with the content teams being at like very different stages. And then at Stripe, we're a much smaller team and a smaller, smaller writing team, as you can see, you're now talking to both of us. That's the writing team of Stripe? Yes, both of us. Wow. <laughs> well, there are all <laughs> kinds of writers. There are people who write for their jobs in different roles. We have product marketers, we have comms, we have developer relations, but for UX writing... We're talking about product writers. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Unfortunate person. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, what a transition from Twitter to Facebook, like hundreds of strategists and then to a product writing team of two. That's crazy. Victoria background is... So you've been a growth copywriter for Uber, right? Yeah, I got a degree in exhibition design. People ask me like what exhibition design is. It's like designing museum exhibits, public spaces. I call it storytelling in space. It's kind of similar to you're designing a user experience. It's just like tactile in the real world. So I kind of thought like, oh, I was doing UX before it was like an actual thing. And then I have a very Silicon Valley story. I wasn't born in the Bay Area, but I was raised here. I moved here when I was three. My dad was a software engineer. So I just sort of grew up around like this startup mentality. And it was sort of the thing that I was just going to go work at startups when I graduated from university. So I got my first job at a small startup as employee number three doing editorial writing. Did that for a couple of years, decided to try cop. I was like, oh, let me just try copywriting. It was sort of very haphazard. You know, I I was really interested in design, but I was always a, a good writer, folks would tell me. So I worked at Levi's for a little bit. And then a design manager at Uber reached out, this small company, Uber, in 2014. And so I started there in performance marketing. So that was like display ads, banners. And then I saw a couple designers like working on like the actual app. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I would sort of look over their shoulders and be like, you shouldn't use this word. You should use this because this doesn't make sense because X, Y, Z. And sort of I organically discovered that there was this whole thing called content strategy, product writing, UX writing, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, oh, I like words that guide more than they say. I'm not trying to sell you. I'm trying to like guide you and help you. So I sort of organically discovered this practice and became the first official product content strategist at Uber. 
And I joined when it was about 500 people and I left when it was about 20,000. So definitely a hyper growth situation. I worked on the rider app, the driver app, product features in India, product features in China, the enterprise side, like Uber for business. So just a really wide variety of products and teams. And that was sort of my on the ground training in content strategy. And then we don't have to digress in this, but I was a little burned out. I decided to take a little break and go to culinary school for six months. And then nice. um, a, yeah, a former coworker of mine was at Stripe and was doing really interesting things there. So that's sort of how I ended up at Stripe. That's cool. That's cool. How was the culinary school adventure? It was great not to look at a screen. It was great to use mm-hmm. my hands. Um, cooking is a, it's actually Angela and I shared this passion for cooking as well. We're total foodies. Uh, it was just like really wonderful to disconnect from sort of the Silicon Valley culture. It could mm-hmm. be a bit monotonous at times and really just return to something that's like very immediately rewarding. But I had to go back to UX writing. I love doing what I do. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. By the way, I've never been in the Silicon Valley in my life. I, I was always like, felt like there is some kind of a aura around this area. Like I really need to go there. I really want to visit. Like people are super talented over there. Everything happens over there. Now I'm here in Israel where also stuff is happening, I must say, but not as much as in the Bay Area. It's really interesting to hear the point of view of someone that grew up from the age of three and until actually I'm where like, Working in startups, like the best and the most cool startup was, can lead even to a burnout that you want to say to yourself, okay, one second, hold on, I need some time out. It's interesting. Absolutely. I mean, I think there are, we're fortunate enough right now where there are sort of pockets of like Silicon Valley culture kind of creeping up in, in other communities around the world. But for some reason, there's something about this part of the world that brings people together. I mean, not necessarily now, given (laughs) everything that's going on, but everything's happening so fast and there is this culture and it it can absolutely burn you out. And I I only speak for myself, having a non-technical background in Silicon Valley, there's this really like engineering product-driven culture. And for someone like me who is on the, I wouldn't say less technical, but more like creative, intuitive, human-centered side of things, like it definitely impacts your mental health. And I speak from like specific experience at Uber. I was there at a time through a lot of tumult and that definitely had an impact on your mental health. And I'm sure a lot of companies with similar situations, people have those experiences as well. But I think it's about knowing yourself and knowing when to take a break and dip out of that culture. And it's always there when you need it. Right, that's cool. And I'm also happy that not like 20 years ago, there is more room for creatives right now in tech companies, usually the software engineers used to be the rock stars, but I feel like their work is becoming a little bit more, of course, there's always demand for great developers, but their work is a little bit more monotonous and doing the design and the copywriting of the different experiences and products is something that can't be overlooked anymore. And we can see like how there's a huge demand right now, or at least a huge hype around writing and design and I'm very happy for that because I'm a creative too. I love writing, I love to design and I feel like it's our time, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're definitely appreciated. People, folks that strife like understand the value of writing and and when they bring us in, they they understand like what we do and and how that helps the the quality of the matter that users see just 
it just feels so much better. It's clear. It's more intuitive. Not to like toot our horns, but I've worked at places where you sort of have to continue evangelizing with the folks on the ground and sort of get into those meetings and really fight to have have a place. And on the ground, I don't really find that that's an issue. Yeah, we don't have to fight to be in the room in the same way that I had to in other roles. That's really good to hear. And it feels like in the Bay Area, it's a little bit more common to have a room for writers and people appreciate more this role. But I can still feel and sense that outside of the U.S., it's not as common to have a dedicated UX writer or even to understand as an organization what UX writing is all about. But we're getting there. We're getting there. We're doing some nice work for talking with companies and sharing knowledge. So I think the community is doing a great job with that. So both of you basically started to work in Stripe almost by the end of 2018. So how was that like to build like a product writing culture at Stripe? It's been great. Stripe values communication and writing tremendously, but until 2018, there weren't writers on the design team. So writing was being done by folks within product teams, and there wasn't a lot of the sort of style guide guidelines that you would expect to keep the communication the consistent in both tone and word. And so we've been doing a lot of refinement in the ways that we are dedicated to certain product teams and also how we serve people outside of those teams. And we're also starting to build up more review processes, which Victoria can talk about, as well as like standards and guidelines to help people understand how to communicate using various components in our design system. Amazing. So basically, there is some kind of a guideline that you create. So not only will be in charge of the writing, but also the, the other members of the team, like the developers, the designers, right? Yeah, just giving people the tools that they need to help make. Like, because there's only two of us and Stripe mm-hmm. is a vast product with many different product teams, we're not going to be able to review all of the words in the product. So we're trying to create tools and guidelines for other people when they're doing the writing. But we also, we're each dedicated to certain specific product areas. So we work on the quality of those areas. And then we consult with other teams through like an office hours kind of system. That's cool. So before Victoria will tell us a little bit more about the review system that she, she built, but I would love to know a little bit more about the product areas of Stripe for our audience that isn't sure what kind of products you have in Stripe. Yeah, so the perception of Stripe is it's a payment processor, and the answer is yes and. There's so much more happening under the hood. So I work on a team called Merchant Core Experience, and that's essentially the dashboard. So once you as a user sign up for Stripe, there are a bunch of technical APIs and documentation, but there's also a user-facing dashboard that you use to sort of manage all of your payments workflows and, and disputes and look at anything that has potential fraud, and we have a variety of other products that you sort of manage throughout that. So I work on a core dashboard. We also have products around subscriptions and recurring revenue, and that's called billing. And that is a team that Angela supports. We also have a product area around like fraud and using machine learning algorithms to detect fraud. And that's a product called Radar. We have a variety of like other products around multi-party payments. So there's a product called Connect. So Think of like marketplaces and platforms that have like multiple people they need to pay out. Then there's one more called Checkout, which is a very popular one. It allows companies to just like create a checkout flow for payments. That's amazing because like even when you use different, I wouldn't say names of different products, 
but it's really difficult to customize the checkout experience. It's really difficult to do that. And the fact that Stripe allows to do it, it's amazing. And also even just letting people to pay with their credit cards, it's like, it sounds like it should be easy, but it's not. Like I use like other third party payment providers because it's very difficult to find like a common payment system. So the fact that you can customize it is amazing. And also I didn't know that you have so many products like Radar for detecting fraud with AI. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I'm just wondering like, how do you navigate as two writers between all of these products? That was definitely a challenge when we first started because we sort of tried to do like the breadth versus depth model where we would be sort of, it was like a studio model where we would be staffed on certain projects given priority and, and stuff. And what we were realizing is we weren't really achieving the level of subject matter expertise that we needed to have in order to deliver the best possible quality. And my head was sort of, and Angela can speak to her experience as well. I felt like it was almost too much. I know writers have to have a certain level of context switching, but it was like too much context switching. So we decided, I guess like around eight months ago to more specialize. And within the, you know, it's so funny because it's like we're specialized, but within my area of the dashboard, there are like four sub pillars with four sub teams. Like there's so much product work happening and the same on billing as well. But it allowed us just to carve out a little bit of an area area for us to sort of put our heads down and like learn about the subject matter because it is so dense and complicated. And then as Angelo was saying, we have everything else that has like a designer staffed without a writer. We have them come into twice weekly. We're calling them content design sessions. They can either be more strategic sessions where we just bounce more like high level strategy ideas. Like how do we want to position things? What's the hierarchy of this page to the more like, okay, this thing is about to ship in a couple of weeks. Like let's work on the copy together and see if we can wordsmith it out. So that's sort of how we attempt to cover the breadth of the work as much as we can, while also like focusing on our our areas. And then as Angela mentioned, like creating those like self-serve style guides and guidelines for folks who just like, at some point, we just have to say, let go and say no. And those style guides at least can like help folks help themselves. How does a style guide like that might look like? Is it like a Google doc, like any type of doc with like rules? Or will it be part of the design system? How does it work exactly? The variety. It can be a paper doc. It can be, we've got design platform documentation and we also have content in there as well. Yeah, we're sort of figuring out like what that centralized design system is. Stripe does not shy away from documentation. People <laughs> love to read here. So it is a writer's <laughs> dream. <laughs> so we have a couple of links at a bunch of places, but we try to evangelize them as best as we can so people know where to look. That's really cool. And it sounds very efficient, like the way that you work with the teams and the office hours, that you can create some kind of a session with a designer and it can be a strategic session or more hands-on writing session, I feel like it creates a really efficient workflow. Yeah. Because many writers saying today that they feel like they're all over the place and they need to bounce between different ideas and different product teams. Got to give a plug to our design program management team. So we have design ops in-house and they are the folks who triage their inbound requests. So we don't even have to look at that stuff. We sort of just show up and put our brains to work. So we're not thinking about the logistics of that. So they're incredible. And I can't even believe I've ever worked on a team without them. Yeah, same. (laughs) And they're incredibly data-driven. We've like 
created a system of tags for all of our content design sessions. And so we can, at the end of each quarter, sort of analyze some of the patterns to see what kind of work, what teams, who's coming the most. And that's information that we use to kind of change and evolve our systems and our approach as we go. Can you give me an example of what kind of data are you looking at internally? One of the reasons we changed our approach to office hours, we used to kind of support anyone in the company who had questions about who needed help with copy. And we've like reoriented to work with only the teams that have design support. And one of the reasons that we did that was we were kind of looking at, there was an incredible demand for our support, but they were also asks that required an incredible kind of going back to what Victoria was saying about context switching, like the amount of context switching that was required to understand the complexity of the problem at hand was sometimes almost the bulk of the session. And so we kind of understood that like, we weren't necessarily making a great impact on some of that work and it wasn't necessarily as high visibility. And so we kind of switched up our systems. Oh, I was going to say, and now we look at things like which teams are, in terms of data that you're asking, like which teams are coming more regularly than often? What kinds of things are we helping people with? Is it more voice and tone things? Is it, are we getting a lot of error messages? Are we getting a lot of more like strategic conversations? Are we looking at just more design pattern things, like things that already exist in the UI, they just need words for it. So we're trying to use that information to inform like, oh, wow, people really keep asking about this. Like, should we standardize this? And is this worthy of some sort of documentation that we should release? So we don't have to keep repeating ourselves and repeating ourselves. Really cool. And I'm asking myself right now, which kind of tools are you using to document these data so you could reach out to it afterwards and, and get insights from combination of like Google spreadsheets is some of the ways that we're using to, after we finish tagging our systems, we use that to generate some charts. And then we work a lot in paper docs as a company. And like, we use that for a lot of the content that we create just because it's a pretty, it's like a nicely designed surface and it's easy to use. Nice. And then you use, for example, tag, like this is an error message. And then you have like insights about how many of the things were related to error messages, for example, and then you get insights from it and analyze the data of it. This is brilliant, to be, to be honest. Thanks. Design Ops gets a lot, yeah. And Design Ops does get a lot of the credit, too. Amazing. And let's talk a little bit more about data-driven culture, because I really like this topic. So when it comes to being data-driven, what would be your processes to get insights from users' behavior, testing it, for example, and how do you implement what you've learned in your writing? Do you have any specific method? I would say in my experience that Stripe is a very, well, I speak only in my experience. I haven't really done a lot of A-B testing. I used to do a little bit when I focused more on, on the growth team and they had specific experiments with that they were running. But I would say the bulk of data is actually qualitative. And we have an incredible small but mighty research team and they also evangelize research within the company. So they really empower other folks to run their own research with the same problems that we have of like, there's a small team and they can't do all the work. So I really rely a lot on like qualitative research and reading survey readouts and uh, research reports and hearing some of the quotes and the language that people use really helps me inform, inform the way I phrase things as well. 
Yeah, definitely echoing that. Like we will work with designers when we're doing research also to inform the copy that users are responding to, to make sure that they're responding to something mm -hmm. that is like very close to real, even if it's not fully polished and ready to ship. And so the way that they'll respond to the term, the terminology and the way we're positioning things is something that we'll respond to. But we don't, I haven't done nearly as much A-B testing in the dashboard here as I have in previous roles. Yeah, I used mm -hmm. to do a lot at Uber. It just sort of speaks to the cultures, interestingly. Like Uber was a very experiment-driven, move fast, break things, not to steal Facebook's quote, but that time in Startup Landia where I would say Stripe is a lot. They move with urgency, that, that's definitely for sure, but just a little bit more intentional upfront about trying to get it right versus just like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. That's interesting because there's a different approach these days and I'm trying to be really like data-driven even with the UX writing hub. We don't have a lot of data going on, but even like with the emails that we take out, like which headline performed better. So we will always just A-B test it just for the sake of understand like how our audience reacts to this type and to that type, even if it's like really, it's not as much as that. I mean, Stripe is like in the thousands, but uh, I really like to get insights from these testings. But I definitely understand the idea of polishing everything first and not just throwing stuff on the wall, but like make sure that you do it really good in the first time. I definitely can uh, relate to it as well. Yeah, it's also interesting given the industry that we work in. It's payments is such a sensitive thing. And like we are processing payments for people and these are their businesses and their livelihoods. And right. so not to say that like A-B testing would be haphazard throughout, just write whatever. Of course, we would be yeah. intentional about that, but it's like, you're just dealing with, it's heavier. And so we just have to be sensitive and mindful of that up front. How many people work in Stripe in total? I think over <laughs> around 2,000-ish. Yeah. So many of our listeners, by the way, are just getting into UX writing. They want to know a little bit more about the field. They want to take a leap of faith, you know, from copywriting to product writing or to understand this craft a little bit better. So giving tips for like newbies, what would be your tip for getting into this field? Keep track of the experiences that you really connect with, whether it's taking screenshots of, I now having worked at Stripe now, spend a lot of time screenshotting error messages and checkout flows and kind of like looking at good implementations and things that seem quite awkward or just like stand out as bad. It's just as helpful to take screenshots and to note and like compile the things that you think are good as the things that you think are bad to understand like that intuitive experience of like, this is a really fantastic experience or like something here went very awry and I don't feel like I'm being treated like a person. So I think mm -hmm. it's like starting to look for those things out in the world. And then I think there are so many great things on Medium that people have posted over time or I actually like discovered content strategy by Jonathan Coleman's epic list of content strategy resources. I think that's the full title, but it's just a page on his mm -hmm. blog that he's maintained over the past probably almost a decade that compiles a lot of really great resources and things just to kind of like immerse yourself in the ways that people think and write about content strategy. Thank you for that. I really like the tip to take screenshots and to learn from it and maybe to organize it. Jonathan Coleman is always a great recommendation. I've been in his workshop in Dublin this year, or maybe it was last year. It was really, really cool. Nice. And what would be your tip about it, Victoria? I definitely echo all of Angela's sentiments. I would say 
what I realized about myself when I was first, and I still do this when I was first getting into UX writing was I found myself paying attention to signs, like not, not on a screen, like actual signs. And I started looking Mm -hmm. at like signs, rewriting them in my head to be like, how could that be clear? Do you really need that word? Like what, what is the minimum amount of words I would need to communicate that message? So I started paying attention to them and sort of doing like little rewrites in my head and I really enjoyed all of those activities and even like stuff that you see on a screen, if you see a message that is kind of even just like viscerally rubs you the wrong way, even though you don't know why yet, like I would just encourage people to challenge themselves to rewrite it in their heads and just mm-hmm. like have those little exercise and like, and, and get that like UX writing muscle moving, even though you don't really know quite what it is. And then also just, there are so many resources now online. Like when I was back in the day, when I was getting into UX <laughs> writing, like it really wasn't. And it's so cool now that like, it's a capital UX W writing, like it's a legit profession now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wonderful books from a book apart there's a great full circle back to Erica Hall. She wrote a book on conversational design, which is just like really wonderful. I really enjoyed that book. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's so much content on the internet right now for UX writing, unsurprisingly. But yeah. yeah, I would just like start. My biggest thing is like just start paying attention to language you see in the world and ask yourself, like, why do you think those choices have been made and how would you do it better, maybe? Yeah. And even like that's if- a really good tip. Something I learned from Victoria, actually, when we started working together was like using the inspect tool in your browser and like you can actually use that and change the copy. So if you're someone who's just starting out and you don't necessarily have a, have a, like an extensive portfolio, you can do before you can like talk about the experiences you've had online and create little before and afters using the inspect tool to talk about how you would improve them to start like getting more of your voice and, and building up your portfolio, even though that isn't actually work that has been shipped or projects that you were on. This is an amazing tip. A lot of people are like a little bit overwhelmed when you tell them, hey, just right click, inspect, and then they see a bunch of code and they're like, no. But all you need to do is just to like change the H1 tag, change the copy, press enter, and it's there. It was a game changer when I first started doing it. I was like, oh my God. In addition to like learning Sketch and now Figma, uh, just, yeah, such a game changer. Yeah, and that's another thing. You can just use Figma also. Just take a screenshot, put it on Figma, put like a square with the background color of that button and just rewrite that button with the text tool. It's not the rocket science. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I also would encourage uh, folks who are new into UX writing. When I look at uh, writers' portfolios, I, of course, am interested in the before and after or the final product, but I am even more interested in the thinking and the process and the rationale behind why you got to where you got to, because that shows like critical thinking and the word, the final word can always be futzed. But if like the the actual, the thinking is there, it just helps me understand like, oh, that person, I get the way that person thinks about it. They're not just being haphazard with their word choices or they just don't want to make something pithy and voicey like they're doing it with like well-intentioned reason and they're using words to solve an actual problem um that was a little bit of a tangent to your question but like in terms of ux writers starting out i think one of the fears they might have is i don't have this like beautiful portfolio i don't work on these sexy products thinking is is so much more important that's a really great tip to tell about the context and how you solve the problem and not just at the before and after. Also, I really like your tip about looking 
to real-world experiences. We have the famous uh, book by Don Norman, The uh, Design of Everyday Things, I think, mm-hmm. when yeah. he is saying, like, okay, if you want to understand how to create an aircraft, just look how birds are flying and, you know, just look how the world is working and try to create your design based on that because we're not inventing the wheel here, we're just reshaping it a little bit. So that's a really good tip to to, to just look at, at science and understand how to communicate them. Even like, you know, your laundry machine, just see how the copy on the buttons is written and like how you communicate like different stuff in your life. And that's the UX writing mindset. And I really liked uh, your tip. Thanks. Cool. So uh, I think that that's about it. In case our listeners would like to reach out to you, ask you a few more questions, what would be the best way to do it? Email? LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn. Yeah. Twitter. I'm, I'm on the net. <laughs> You're on the net. If it's okay with you, I will add the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn links to, to the show sure. notes. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So out. Yeah. Nice. Twitter is good too. Twitter is good too. Amazing. So thank you so much for taking this call. I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot as well. Yeah, um, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, this was fun. Of course. <laughs> and that's about it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank All you. Right. Have a good night. Thank you, Bob. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.